0: It's kind of a fun icebreaker at this time of year that usually leads to some interesting conversations. What is your favorite Christmas, fill in the blank, You know, favorite Christmas song or carol, favorite Christmas movie, favorite Christmas tradition, favorite Christmas food? Yeah, there are lots of ways you can go with that. Well, that's where we're going to start this episode of the Discover the Word podcast. Bill Crowder is going to ask Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day about a Christmas favorite. Discover what kind of favorite he's interested in hearing about and how that will launch us into some conversations about a fresh perspective on Christmas from kind of an unexpected place. Be part of some special Christmas conversations on the Discover the Word podcast. And it is good to have you here for these conversations for Christmas on the Discover the Word podcast. Glad you're able to carve out some time in your holiday schedule to study the Bible with us. I'm Brian Hettinga, and in this episode, you'll be studying with your regular Discover the Word study partners as Bill leads Mart, Annalisa, and Daniel to a spot in the New Testament that we don't normally go for Christmas conversations. This week we're gonna be in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian church for a series about Paul's Christmas story. Hmm, Galatians for Christmas, really. That's a new one for most of us. And I don't think any of us would have said that our favorite version of the Christmas story is there in Galatians. And so I think Bill may have some convincing to do to persuade us that this is a telling of the Christmas story. So uh, let's get started with these discover the word conversations for Christmas called Paul's Christmas Story.
1: Once again, we come to Christmas time, and whenever we have Christmas programs, we talk about favorite things about Christmas. So, what are some of your favorite Christmas things? PJs and the sweatshirt. <laughs> That's my favorite everyday thing. Yeah, and the excuse to wear it all day. Yeah.
2: I think the Christmas tree. It's like the the holder of memories. You know, it has mm. ornaments from the kids' childhood and the grandkids' childhood now, and it has stuff from my childhood, and, and it just goes all the way forward. Mm. It's a thing of beauty.
3: Mm. Yeah, and you know, related to that, over the years, Diane and I, we just there's certain favorite things that we would bring out year after year, and so it's a different feel. It's something that you've chosen to dress up the season.
4: Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite. Christmas traditions that we have as a family is uh, Christmas morning. Marlene makes pigs in a blanket and uh, monkey bread.
2: <laughs> there's a lot nice. of animals in that. <laughs>
1: there's, well, there's, I tell you, there's a lot of uh, carbs in that too. Um, what
3: is monkey bread?
1: Well, some people call it pull apart cake, yeah. but it's What a, is pull apart cake? <laughs> it, you make it out of cheap biscuits and you pour butter and sugar and cinnamon all over it and bake it and then because you chop up biscuits then you pull off pieces of it to eat it. it has very uh, little
2: to do with monkeys, yeah.
1: Yeah, I have no idea on the monkey thing, but <laughs> Do you have a favorite telling of the Christmas story from the scriptures? I mean, I probably
5: stick with the classic Luke 2 telling, although that has come alive for me in a much different way after reading the book we talk about all the time, but Kenneth Bailey's book, Jesus Through yeah. Middle Eastern Eyes. And sure. so seeing that in its context is a pretty moving account of Jesus' birth.
3: But you know, there's something about Isaiah's prophecy, mm-hmm. for unto you a son is born, and a child is given. That is such a beautiful description mm-hmm. of the nature of the Christ.
1: Hmm. And in one of our conversations this time, Mark, we're going to actually see a New Testament rendering of that exact statement that you just quoted. So that's Mm. really good. Elisa, what about you?
2: You know, I think I go to Luke as well. I was going to say, especially when you pair Isaiah with Handel's Messiah, I love that. But I think I go to Luke as well, and mainly because of the way Luke pauses and focuses in on Mary. Mm -hmm. It's like the only place Mm. in Scripture you see such a long uh, understanding of her plight and her call. And Mm. I just think about that a lot.
1: In some ways, it's the longest account in the scriptures of any woman where she is the main focus so Mm -hmm. much of it. So I kind of lean toward Matthew just because I think Joseph is a fascinating Mm -hmm. guy, and I just really am kind of taken with him. And so I really like going through the Matthew account, but obviously Luke's okay, too. So... (laughs) What I want us to do this week is look at neither one of them. Okay. Um, I want us to look at at one that often doesn't get as much attention. We don't focus on it, but it's uh, in Galatians chapter 4, and it's Paul's Christmas story. The fact that it's in a letter and not a narrative tells us it's going to be a little bit different, right? What might be some of the differences between Paul's letter and, say, Luke's gospel?
5: Well, can I just start by saying, I think this is the first time I've heard anyone say that there is a Christmas story in Galatians. Yeah. So I'm skeptical that it's even there. Bill. <laughs>
1: good.
3: good. <laughs> Keep that skepticism going. That'll be good. Is it because the, the narrative is plays out differently?
2: Well, or maybe there's not even a narrative. You know, Paul's kind of presents so theologically that i think is he really telling a story you know paul's christmas story or paul's christmas theology you know that's kind of what i wonder about
3: but he's got to be alluding to the story right sure i think you hear elements of the story
1: to your point mart but to your point at least i think it's in a much more theological setting and so we want to look at it it's in galatians chapter four and our focus is going to be on verses four and five but first What are some of the big ideas in the book of Galatians itself?
5: I think one of the big ideas is Paul is really helping us see how the whole story of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament work together and are kind of centered around the person of Jesus and how even our understanding of what the purpose of the Old Testament law was and some of the commandments and things like that, how Jesus gives us a different perspective on what the whole story is and how it works together.
3: And the huge contrast between law and spirit really comes mm-hmm. to the surface, doesn't mm-hmm.
2: it? Yeah, was a group of um, people who were trying to say you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian, and that's my little mm-hmm. low-lay-level description of being a Judaizer, you know, it's like you have to yeah. follow all the particulars of the law And Paul wanted to speak grace next to that. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think that really puts us where we need to be, because in the midst of this book, where in a sense the first half of the book of Galatians is about the danger of minimizing grace, the second half is about the benefits of living in grace and experiencing grace. And kind of right in the middle of it, almost like a hinge, is the Christmas story <laughs> which is the story of grace coming to the world
3: in the person of Jesus. So Bill, before we go on, could we just how would you describe grace in a word or a sentence? Just so we know we're starting out on the same page. Sure. I think the standard definition is favor we could not earn or deserve. Okay.
1: God is giving us what we need, but not what we could have ever earned. Okay. Good. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Now, we're going to look specifically at verses 4 and 5, but first, just to set it up, I want us to take a real quick look at verses 1 through 3. Now, chapter 3 of Galatians ends with the statement In Christ, there's no Jew or Greek, nor slave or free, no male nor female, but we are all children. And he goes on to say, and this is really kind of important, he goes on to say, You belong to Christ, verse 29 then you are Abraham's offspring. So he's talking about children. And that's the context that sets up verses one through three. So Elisa, would you read verses one through three for us?
2: You bet. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Okay, now Daniel, with that context, give us verses 4 and 5
5: now. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons.
1: Okay. Now, in the end of chapter 3, he talked about being the offspring of Abraham, and then he talks about being children uh, who are heirs, and now he talks about being adopted as sons and daughters. So you see the thread of children running through that. As we come into Paul's telling of the Christmas story, did you see the elements of the Christmas story in what Daniel read?
2: We have to go a little slower. Can we read it again?
1: Sure. Yeah, since I'm the skeptic, too, I'm happy to draw
5: those out a little bit. So when the fullness of time came, so this completion of something that God is saying is going to happen, God sent forth his son.
2: Got that part. I see it. I see <laughs> okay, it there, yeah. Bill.
5: Born of a woman. Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Born under the law. So born as a Jew in a Jewish culture so that he might redeem those who
1: are under the law. That they might receive the adoption as sons. Remember, the first half of Galatians, he's dealing with the problem of people trying to reinstitute law mm-hmm. on people who have been given God's grace. Law is still the issue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But now we see why or how we've been rescued from that. And all of it happens, he says, when the fullness of time came. Mm-hmm.
3: And it allows all of us to... To think of ourselves as children as well in the process mm.
1: well and christmas is a good time to think of ourselves as children isn't it? Uh, because there's a childlike wonder to christmas what's interesting about you're bringing up the child part of it mart is if you go back and look at verse 2 it says the child is under guardian and managers until the date set by the father until the fullness of time came so he's drawing on their pattern of children having teachers and mentors and things like that until the father says, okay, now it's time for the child to step out. In a similar way, when the fullness of time came, it was time for Jesus to step out. God sent his son. So what might have been some of the factors that made this the fullness of time? In A really practical sense that Mary had been
5: pregnant for nine months. (laughs) And the time came where her body said, it's time. Let's bring mm-hmm. this baby into the world.
2: Well, and there was this census that um, ordered Joseph and then his family to go to Bethlehem in Nazareth mm-hmm. to be counted, and that's where the Messiah was to be born.
3: Mm-hmm. But it also had to have something to do with the fact that it was God's time to respond to the prayers of his people mm-hmm. who had been waiting mm-hmm. for deliverance mm-hmm. for centuries. hmm
1: Yeah, much in the same way that after 400 years enslaved in Egypt, God heard the cries of his people and responded in the same way God must have been responding in some way to the cries of his people. Many point out the fact that even just in a historical level, this was kind of an optimal moment because for the first time in the history of the world at that point, there was this one dominant government. There was a dominant common language in Koine Greek. You're talking about Rome now, right? Rome is the government, Greek is the language. They have roads that made transportation accessible uh, so that when it came time to tell people about this savior who had come, they would be able to travel and do it. And so when the fullness of time came, (laughs) as Daniel pointed out, it was the fullness of time for Mary. Then she was ready to deliver her firstborn son. The timing was perfect for Israel because they'd been crying out for a rescuer, crying out for a Messiah, crying out for one who would come and set them free. And the timing was right for the world. All of the pieces and players were on the stage and ready to go in God's perfect timing. When the time was exactly right, that's when he sent his son. Okay, what are some things that we send? And of course, at Christmas time, we send a lot of stuff. But what is some of the stuff that you send? Unfortunately, the first
5: thing that comes to mind for me is email. I send a lot of email. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Not necessarily at Christmas time.
5: Every day is Christmas if we're defining it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
4: That's good.
2: I think of it Christmas sending gift cards. To be honest, uh, you know, I'll go mm. online and. I've just learned that, especially the age of my kids, you know, they really do appreciate money. (laughs) So when I'm getting ready to do my, quote, Christmas shopping, I'm doing a lot of gift cards.
3: Yeah, when it comes to sending a package, we spend quite a bit of time just doing that because that's Mm. not always easy to do. Mm
1: -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think what we're talking about is exactly the direction that our mind goes. There are also other kinds of things that get sent in one sense. I mean, a company might send an employee to represent them at a conference or a convention or something like that, a a government sends ambassadors to other country to represent the values and the programs and the agenda of that government, whatever it might be to the other seat of government. So sometimes it's not just things that get sent. It's people.
2: Yeah. I think about a company, a customer service company sending a worker to your home to Mm -hmm. fix the exploding pipe or whatever has happened. (laughs) The cable TV. The cable TV dude, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: things get sent and sometimes people get sent. It's interesting, Mark, you were talking about the process of putting together a package to send and and uh, the U.S. Postal Service, I actually did research on this, which I found really weird. <laughs> but they said the top four things that get sent in the mail are first of all, printed material, which would be cards, letters, bills, junk mail, all of that kind of stuff, soft goods, which would be clothing, things like that, third would be toys, <laughs> fourth, magnets. That's got to be a joke. <laughs> On the USPS website, that was number four on the hit parade of things sent in the mail, magnets. And I have no answer. They didn't explain the psychology behind this huge popularity of mailing magnets to people. But for some reason, people are into that. And good for them. (laughs) When we send things to people it's about more than just the tangible thing isn't it mm-hmm. i mean they understand that you're expressing your heart for them and this is a tangible way mm-hmm. so when we send something whether it's a letter whether it's a package or whether it's a gift card i mean mm-hmm. there's something in the heart of the sender that transfers into the thing that's being sent to the recipient yeah mm-hmm. That's why I think it's really interesting that years ago, I think it was in the 1940s maybe, that Hallmark Cards created this beautiful, lovely motto. And it's still today on the back of every Hallmark card that you get. And the motto is, when you care enough to send the very best. Mm.
2: Mm. You're making me tear up. (laughs) That's a silly thing, but there's a strong sentiment even in that statement. And if you remember all of the Hallmark commercials you've seen where that phrase is mentioned, it tugs at the heart because there's love in that heart that sends. And somehow the Mm -hmm. scent item gives us access to that love, doesn't it? And
3: it never really gets
1: old, does it? Uh -uh. Mm Uh-uh. Mm -mm. My mom passed away recently, and I was going through my desk looking for something, and I found an old birthday card that she had sent me a couple of years ago, and it just brought back all those great feelings and all that love that I felt for my mom my whole life and felt from her my whole life. And so that caring enough to send the very best is such Mm -hmm. a beautiful sentiment. I would like to suggest to you, if it doesn't over-trivialize things, that that's what the Christmas story is about. In a sense, the Christmas story is about God caring enough to send his very best. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about in these conversations. And we're looking at Paul's Christmas story, which Daniel's still skeptical about, but we're (laughs) going to win him over before we're done. And it's in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. And uh, yesterday we talked about the first component, which is God's perfect timing. Elisa, would you read verses 4 and 5 and listen for the component that matches up to what we've been talking about.
2: Sure. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Mm.
1: God sent forth his son. <laughs>
2: mm.
1: And I would like to suggest that in that phrase, there is an enormous amount of value in that phrase, God sent forth his son. What do you see in it?
5: Yeah, well, when you put it in the context of what you just did with the questions that you started off with, which was uh, asking about the heart of the person sending something, and then we think about who the sender is, talk about value. Mm -hmm. You have God being the one sending something, and having his character, his heart, all the qualities that make him God behind that. It truly would be something that would be for
3: our good and for the good of others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. If it wasn't his son he sent, what are some other options? Uh, I guess an angel, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there were times in the Old Testament that God did send angels, and even the night Jesus was born, there were angels that were sent to announce that. But when he sends his very best.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Often he sent a prophet, another person, right? Right. Mm. Right. A spokesman.
2: There are echoes through scripture. I mean, I think about John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you think about this, this is his very best. Or I think about John chapter 1, where we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to talk about how the way we know the Father is revealed by the Son. You know, mm. These other mentions become even more dimensioned when we think about him sending his very best, don't they?
1: Yeah, think about it this way. We mentioned one of the things that gets sent is an ambassador who is coming to represent the values and the programs and the ideas And the agenda of the government they're representing. Well, in a sense, Jesus was God's greatest ambassador to us, Mm -hmm. not only because he came to represent those things, but because he perfectly represented them. I mean, Mm -hmm. Hebrews 1 tells us that he's the exact image of the invisible God, right? Mm -hmm. So he came to be the perfect representation of God the Father for us. And that's enormous, And it's because he is God. You know,
5: sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to be careful in our language, I think, when we talk about God sending Jesus, because it makes it sound like God commanded that he go and he had no choice. But there's also this aspect of Jesus being God as well, that he is choosing to come as a part of that and be God's perfect representation because he is God.
3: Yeah. And, you know, when you think of it so often, in Jesus' conversations with others, he, he made a big point of that, mm-hmm. that he wasn't just speaking on his own, but everything he said, mm-hmm. the Father had said to him for the purpose of passing it along. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Jesus said, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that meant that even though Jesus, as you say, Daniel, was fully God, he submitted himself to the Father's purposes and plans and accepted those and became a part of it to represent that. Mm -hmm. to this world. And what I think makes that so interesting is because Adam and Eve, God directly created them, right? I mean, he formed them from the dust of the earth. Ever since then, every human being that's ever come onto this planet was born from the joining of a man and a woman together. But Jesus Mm -hmm. was sent here from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can make that claim, Hmm. Like you said, Elisa, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh hmm. and dwelt among us. God sent him from there to here so that we could see and know the Father and his heart. And that's a pretty remarkable thing to try to get
3: your mind around. <laughs> we really can't, can we? I mean, it's we can begin to think about it, hmm. but as you're indicating, Bill, there's a depth To the likeness of the son to the father Mm -hmm. that we really can't even grasp.
5: Yeah. And you know, this time of year maybe is the perfect time to talk about that too, because I mean, in a much lesser level, do we ever really get the thoughtfulness behind a gift? Mm. Right. Like, do we really ever capture the heart of when someone gets us something We don't know how much time they poured out into thinking through that gift and how much love they've put behind it. In fact, when you have young kids, you're often surprised at how they forget that you gave it to them at all because they (laughs) grab it and run off and play with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so there's almost that mystery of the heart of the gift giver that is always
1: it kind of stays mysterious. And it has to because. We can't unravel the heart and mind of God, but we can see the tangible evidence mm. of how much he loves us. How much did he love us? He loved us so much that he gave, Elisa said, his only son. Mm. And Paul echoes that. He loves us so much that God sent forth his son. And that is the Christmas story.
0: <laughs> yeah, God cared enough to send his very best. You're at the Discover the Word table with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And this episode of the podcast is titled, Paul's Christmas Story. We're in Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. And in the next section of that passage that in many ways is telling the Christmas story, we're going to see that Paul kind of outlines God's plan in sending Jesus. Because, you know, with almost everything, you got to have a plan you got to have a strategy, and so we'll see God's strategy when the group comes back after this short break. We're grateful to have friends like you joining us for these conversations. and The fact that we're able to turn on our radios or go to our website or listen to the podcast and discover the Word together is due in large part because of our Discover the Word partners. Now, if you're part of this faithful group whose support Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries financially on a regular basis. Allow me to pass on our grateful thanks for your continued partnership with us. Because Discover the Word is free for anyone to listen to, but producing and distributing these studies comes with some pretty good expense. And so your special Christmas gift today will help us continue to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You may wonder if giving a small donation could possibly make a difference. Well, let me assure you that it does. You can show your support by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click on the Donate tab at discovertheword.org. And now let's get back to exploring Paul's Christmas story in Galatians chapter four.
3: Do you play chess sometimes with my kids? For me, it's been a number of years. I used to love it. Played so much chess. <laughs> okay.
2: I've tried. You've <laughs> I'll tried. Put it that way. I've tried.
1: I used to play a lot of chess too, especially when I traveled to Russia. I bought a chess set in Moscow at a flea market, and one side's pieces were all red with uh, the Soviet star on it, and the other was red, white, and blue stars and stripes. And so <laughs> I would get one of my students, and we'd play against each other, and. And that was fun, but the larger question is, when you played chess, or maybe when you played chess, <laughs> did you have a strategy that you used?
2: If you asked the question about tic-tac-toe, I would say yes. <laughs> okay. okay, so tic-tac-toe a has a strategy. Here. Okay, <laughs> that's
3: good. You know, yeah. I was never a good enough player, really, to be able to see several moves down the board. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to say, not really. It was almost like I would respond to one move mm-hmm. After another move, after another move.
5: And I would say it depends on who I'm playing with, because if it's with my kids, then my strategy is to still win, but to let the game go as long as we could so that they learn well. Hmm. And so that might be a different strategy than if I sat down with you, Bill. I may just want to go straight for the jugular although if I'm honest I'm with uh, I'm with Mart and don't usually think that far ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm so random. When I play a really good chess player the only advantage I have is knocking them completely off balance because yeah. I'm so random they have no idea what to anticipate.
4: <laughs> when
1: we're doing stuff whether it's playing chess or whatever it might be there are a lot of things in life in which strategy plays in. Mm -hmm. And there are components to that strategy that hopefully are going to help us accomplish that goal. And we see that in all kinds of areas of life, including things like chess and things of that nature. We're looking in these conversations at Paul's Christmas story. And what have we seen so far?
2: That it began in the fullness of time or the perfect timing God acted to create what we call the Christmas story. Yeah.
1: So there was perfect timing. And then Mm -hmm. what was the second component that we saw?
3: It resulted in an expression from God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. If we just say what Paul said, God sent forth his son, that's really good. But we saw that it wasn't just in the sending, there was a heart behind it, right? Mm -hmm. And that really dominated our conversation last time. Now for this conversation, I would like to suggest that Not only in that sending is there expression of God's great heart for us, but there's also a strategy involved. Hmm. And that strategy is not unimportant in God accomplishing his purposes. In our previous conversation,
2: Elisa, you quoted John 3.16. Would you quote it again, please? Sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life.
1: Yeah. So... There's an end game, right? That whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. There's an end game. There's a goal. There's something that God wants to accomplish. And we saw in our previous conversation that a big part, and not a small part, a big part of what he wants to accomplish is for us to know what his heart is for us. Hmm. And so he sent Jesus. But the other part of it is so that we could enter into an enduring, eternal relationship with him. In between, there's a strategy. (laughs) And the strategy is found in the next phrase. And so, Mart, would you read Galatians 4, 4 through 5 and see if you can pick out the two elements of the strategy that I think are there.
3: Okay. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children.
1: My translation is a little different, Mart, but it says born of a woman, born under the law,
3: mm.
1: and that there's strategic elements to both of those things in God accomplishing his purpose. He can accomplish his purpose of revealing his heart to us just by sending Jesus, right? But to accomplish the making relationship possible, there are some other things. And I think the born of a woman and born under the law are part of that. So how do you see that maybe working out?
5: Well, I kind of have a question first. It's confusing language, because born of a woman, I get that. Born under the law, it's kind of confusing language mm.
1: there. Okay. Well, let's take both pieces, and let's start with take the born of a woman. And as we think about born of the woman, I want to connect it to what we saw in our previous conversation. God sent forth whom? His son. His son born of a woman. Now, Mm -hmm. in our first conversation, Mart, you said one of your favorite Christmas verses is in Isaiah. What was that? That's
3: chapter 9.
1: Yeah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Do you see those two things here? Mm -hmm. Unto us a child is born, born of a woman. Mm -hmm. Unto us a son is given. God sent forth his son. There's a sense in which Paul, I think, is echoing Mm -hmm. Isaiah. Ah. And he's doing that. To let us know the full, I think, uniqueness of who God's ambassador to us is. Hmm. We saw in our previous conversation that God sent forth his son, that he came from someplace else, that he's fully divine, that he's fully God. Mm -hmm. That all takes a turn with born of a woman, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, because he's human. He's a real baby. This is a human who walks among us? Yeah,
3: and that really has echoes going all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it, Bill? Sure, because in
1: Genesis, when the first man and woman disobeyed God and brought sin into the creation, God said mm-hmm. that He was going to use the seed of the woman, yeah, to ultimately bring victory where they had experienced this first major spiritual defeat. The seed of the woman. So now we have born of a woman humanity. God sent forth his son, perfect deity. Hmm. Those two ideas together (laughs) are mysterious. (laughs) What's mysterious about him?
2: Well, that he's both at the same time, and 100% both at the same time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, theologians call that the hypostatic union. Basically, what it means is that Jesus was a totally unique person. With a dual nature, if you will, because he was God and man at the same time. It wasn't that five minutes ago he was man, but now he's God again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's hard for me to get my mind around for sure.
2: And you're going back to the strategy of God's gift. You know, the strategy of deity becoming human is stunning to think of relationship that's possible for us now and how we can know God differently because of this strategy, the strategy that accomplished this kind of intimacy Mm -hmm. for us.
5: And it's also beautiful too, right? Because it shows that when the Bible says things like, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. Well, if he was only God, that wouldn't be true. Because, well, God can't be tempted in the same way that we are, but the fact that he's fully human means that he really Mm -hmm. did experience what it feels like to hear echoes of what it could be like to walk not on God's path, on a different path, and to uh, experience suffering as a real human would experience suffering and pain and experience the real brokenness of the world. But Bill, that still doesn't quite answer my question on the born under the law, which is a pretty confusing
1: phrase. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad that you guys said all the things that you did because the very next piece of it, not only was he born human, but specifically he was born Jewish. (laughs) And that matters in the telling of the Bible story because the telling of the Bible story is all about God's working through one people to ultimately bring blessings to the whole world. And that people was the Jewish people under law,
3: the law of Moses. Okay, is that your point of strategy then? Yeah. I mean, that goes to the heart of it, right? Yeah, and it all goes back to God's promise to
1: Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, where he said, I'm going to make your offspring like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky and all this kind of stuff. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. How was that ever going to be accomplished? I mean, it's certainly, you know, you could say that Jewish people have contributed greatly to the arts, to science, to medicine. There are all kinds of tangible ways in which humankind have benefited from the Jewish people. But the greatest contribution, the one through which all the world would ultimately be blessed, Hmm. is that Jesus had to be born as a Jew. And I think that, Daniel, is the significance to be born under the law. Mm -hmm. Under the law, Jewish, of a woman, human, Mm -hmm. God sent forth his son, divine. That's an amazing package for accomplishing God's purposes in this world. And the strategy, I think, is both encouraging and mysterious. are some ways we use the word redeem or redemption or redemptive? And I mean, ways outside of church world.
5: You're bringing back my old job, Bill, because I worked at a family entertainment center where we had lots of games that gave tickets and you would go to the redemption area and redeem (laughs) tickets.
3: (laughs) You know what? I'm going to reveal my age I haven't thought about it for decades. Do you remember green stamps? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You don't, do you? You're all too young. I do. You
2: do? No, I do remember we grew up in a single mom home, and she saved the green stamps that they would give you at the grocery store for any purchases, kind of thing. And our kids, we got to lick them and put them in books, and that's how we bought her a Christmas present every year. So yeah, I remember them well. You
3: used them to redeem. To redeem.
2: And they were nice things, like an iron, you know, or a pan, or, you know.
3: Mom things.
2: Mom, things
3: (laughs) Um, you know,
1: I think of, uh, for instance, if you have a frequent flyer account and you accumulate miles, you can redeem those miles to get another plane ticket or something. Or if you have an account on iTunes and somebody gives you a gift card, you can redeem that gift card to buy music or something. Yeah, but I also think about a different way. I mean, sometimes when we see a, a movie or a TV story or read a novel. We talk about that story being redemptive.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: What are we saying when we say that was a redemptive story?
5: Something really bad happens early on, and at the end somehow something good happens that at least makes you feel a little better about the bad thing that happened. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's good.
3: A lot of times it's a broken person, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who in the end comes together.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. The classic example that I'm sure all of you are... Utterly familiar with his Iron Man, (laughs) (laughs) the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, at the beginning of the first Iron Man movie, he is an absolute horrible human being in every way imaginable. And by the time you get to the end of the story, you start to see some redemptive elements coming out in him that were definitely missing early in the story. And there was a lot of trial in between. And sometimes in those redemptive stories, people go through a lot. Mm-hmm. to get to that. And that's kind of what we think of when we think of redemptive. It's something that takes something wrong and makes it right.
2: Brings good out of bad. I mean, the story of Joseph in Scripture is an, another oh,
1: just that's a good classic example. example. Yeah, a perfect it, example. Yeah. In our last conversation, we talked about how God had a strategy in sending his son, and Paul talks about that strategy in his telling of the Christmas story, Today, we're going to see that the goal, or at least half of the goal in that Christmas story was to bring redemptive action and redemptive work. And we want to see what that looks like today. So if we can go back to Paul's telling of the Christmas story, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Elisa, would you read that for
2: us this time? You bet. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons.
1: Now, first of all, let's tie it back to what we were talking about in our last conversation about the whole idea of being born under the law. Jesus, we saw, was born under the law, which meant he was born Jewish. Mm -hmm. And as being born Jewish, he was the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through Abraham's seed, all the world would be blessed but on a practical level what else was involved in him being born under the law
3: he had to live up to the values and the standards mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. principles of of the law of moses of god
4: yeah
2: yeah this can be confusing because you know we who are under grace can dismiss the law but our good god who is perfect you know he provided The fulfillment, the completion Mm -hmm. of the law in order to then provide grace. Mm
3: -hmm. And I think what was so important is that he did it not just by the letter, but he did it according to the spirit of the law. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the heart. And that threw everybody, but that showed Mm -hmm. that he, he really did bring fulfillment. He lived it. And it's interesting, Mark, because Paul picks up
1: on that theme of spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of the law, because again, to go back to one of our other conversations, that's the heart behind it all. Just like we see the heart of God in sending Jesus, we need to also see the law in light of God's heart behind the law as well, Mm -hmm. that there was good purpose and good value to that, even though we could never accomplish it. So Jesus came and accomplished it. Yeah. Jesus came and fulfilled it perfectly.
5: And we see Jesus pick up on that theme too in the Sermon on the Mount where he says you've heard it said but I say mm. Mm. and he brings out the the nuance, the why behind some mm. of what people had been trying to follow with a lot of energy and effort. And Jesus just brings this nuance to it that really illustrates the love that God has for human beings. And I've heard it more recently said that God, through the law, showed us a better way of being human. And then Mm. Jesus illustrated that by living a better way Mm. of being human. Mm. That's
4: good.
1: Yeah. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus Christ is the only true human being who's ever lived (laughs) Uh. because he was the one person who lived in complete and perfect harmony with the Father's heart. Now, when Paul's talking about the law, remember, this is a letter to the Galatians. And we, in our first conversation, we revisited a little bit what the problem was that was being addressed in Paul's letter to the Galatians. What was
2: that problem again? Well, they were basically saying that you have to keep the law in order to become a Christian and be a Christian. And bottom line, you need to become a Jew, a practicing Jew who practices the law, and then add on to that our faith with Jesus.
3: And they're kind of walking backward, aren't they? Mm-hmm, because yeah. they were people mm-hmm. who believed in Jesus, but they're kind of like sliding, yeah. walking back into the old way of life. That's a good way of mm-hmm. putting it, yeah. And we sometimes theologically
5: beat them up for that in some ways, but in reality, it's what they knew. You know, the Jesus story, Christianity, for a long time was considered a Jewish religious expression Mm -hmm. because it started in Israel. It started in Jerusalem with a bunch of Jews (laughs) that were figuring out what it means to be Christian. And so it makes sense that that would be one of the early things they're trying to figure out as well. Okay. So how Jewish are we supposed to continue to be as we adopt this new way of seeing God's spirit working in us and through us?
1: As a matter of fact, Daniel, when you study, The relationship of Christianity to ancient Rome, one of the things you learn is that there were a number of years where actually Christianity had a certain amount of safety in the eyes of Rome because they were seen as a Jewish sect and Judaism was legal.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: It was only when they really began to be seen as something distinct and separate from Judaism that they began to be really persecuted. And so Jesus came and he perfectly lived out the law because We couldn't fulfill the law, and so reapplying the law, which the Judaizers were trying to do, wasn't going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Jesus came, perfectly lived the law, Paul says, to redeem those under the law. So now we're back to that word redeem again that we started off with. And what's really interesting is that the primary use of that, the Greek term ex-agorazo, agora was the marketplace X is out of, so it's to buy out of the marketplace. And it was specifically the slave market. Hmm. So the idea of buying someone out of the slave market is exactly the imagery that Paul is giving us here because he's saying we used to be slaves of the law, Mm -hmm. but we're not slaves of the law anymore. We've been bought.
3: By Jesus, he has redeemed us. Set free. So it's a buying of freedom then, yeah, at least. It's not just the buying of a slave so that they could be your slave, right? Exactly
1: right. Because once again, everything we're seeing in this story has the heart of the Father behind it, right? Mm -hmm. And the heart of the Father was that we be set free from the bondage of the law, not that we be placed back under it. That's the whole problem that Paul's addressing in the letter to the Galatians. Mm. And he keeps addressing it even in his Christmas story. Mm. But what I'd like to do just real quickly is fast forward to the Easter story. What was the Jewish holiday that was being celebrated when Jesus was crucified? Passover. Yeah. And what did Passover commemorate?
2: The Israelites being set free or redeemed out of slavery Mm -hmm. into freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Passover was there to celebrate the exodus from slavery to Egypt. Mm -hmm. If Jesus came to redeem those who were enslaved under the law, should it surprise us that that event would take place at Passover, <laughs> so that the new Exodus would be being remembered in the shadow of the old Exodus?
3: It's an amazing convergence, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's the very definition of a
5: redemption story. As we talked about in movies, a redemptive hero or a redemptive series of events, Jesus is kind of the culmination of both. Mm-hmm. As the, the one who redeems not only the bad things that are happening in the world to begin to make them right, but the bad stuff in us to begin to make us right. Mm. We're
0: looking at how Paul tells the Christmas story in Galatians chapter four. And while this version doesn't give some of the specifics that we're used to hearing about shepherds and angels and a manger and Mary and Joseph, I think we're discovering that it does help us to understand why we're still celebrating Christmas a couple thousand years later. Well, the conclusion of Paul's Christmas story is coming up after this word about a special New Year's study on our next Discover the Word podcast.
1: On the Jewish calendar, New Year's is called Rosh Hashanah, And it has some really interesting traditions that might help us as we move toward New Year's and the start of another year. And Rosh Hashanah is also called the Feast of Trumpets. What would happen is on the day before New Year's, the trumpets would blow after Psalm 47 had been read. Hmm. So when you think about the Jewish rabbis picking out of 150 Psalms, this one, to launch the new year. It makes me kind of wonder if we might be able to find some stuff that can help us as we get into our new year. So I'm going to suggest that it's worth digging into and finding out if maybe those rabbis were onto something after all. Yeah, the end and the
0: beginning. A special study of Psalm 47 for New Year's on the next Discover the Word podcast. Well, would you agree that family is a big part of how we celebrate Christmas? Lots of families travel lots of miles to be together at Christmas and family Christmas traditions. Does your family have those? Well, as we wrap up this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, we're going to discover that family is a major component in Paul's Christmas story in Galatians 4.
1: I'm sure that you're familiar with the statement from Ralph Waldo Emerson, it's not the destination, it's the journey.
2: I think I've seen that on a million plaques or something, right? Or a coffee mug or a magnet.
1: Yeah. So the question is, is that a true statement? I think it's true in the
5: sense that when we're on the journey, we need to be present where we are. I think it's false in the sense that it implies the destination doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes destination does matter. Yeah. So I think there's a little truth and falseness in there, but I guess any witty saying usually has a little bit of both, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> I think, Danielle, it's really good to emphasize both sides because, yeah, if you're just wandering and enjoying the ride and enjoying the walk and you never get any place when you mm-hmm. need to be there.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's a sense in which the journey can give value to the destination because we know what it took to get there, but also the destination can give meaning to the journey because we're not just going through something random, Mm -hmm. we're heading someplace.
2: That's a both and, isn't it?
1: What we've been on this week is a journey to a destination. As we've been looking at Paul's telling of the Christmas story in Galatians 4 verses 4 through 5, what have we seen in our previous conversations up to this point?
5: We started off with God's perfect timing. Mm -hmm. The fullness
1: of time came. God sent
5: his son. And so this wasn't just an arbitrary or random moment, but so much of the story of the Bible was leading up to this moment when God would send his son. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started talking about him giving his very best. Giving his son.
2: Yeah, which is the most perfect expression of the Father's heart mm-hmm. we could have. Mm-hmm. Um, the most perfect gift, the most perfect ambassador, the most perfect representation and revelation of who mm-hmm. he is.
3: And I think, Bill, you were emphasizing that God had a way of working it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a plan, he had a strategy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that was that Jesus would come fully human, born of a woman, and fully Jewish. <laughs> born under the law, because again, that ties back into that story of faithfulness that Daniel was reminding us of. And we saw part of the purpose of all that in our last conversation that he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And what did we see that that word redeem means?
2: I think we talked about it being to buy back or to bring it out of like the marketplace. Mm-hmm. That's the root of it, to get it back. Yeah
1: most of the time, this specific term, to speak of buying a slave off the slave market.
2: And setting free or just buying?
1: Well, you know, not always. And that's part of the problem. I mean, we think in our own history of slavery in the United States. And if somebody bought a slave off the slave market, it was probably to re-enslave them at their place.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard even to talk about that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard even to recall that's a part of our story.
1: But it's an important part of our story and one that we can't escape. And yet it's part of what makes God's story so much better Mm -hmm. because God did not send Jesus to buy us off the slave market to re-enslave us to something else. God bought us off the slave market, not only to set us free, Mm -hmm. but also to bring us into relationship with him. And that is the destination where this Christmas story has been going, the destination of, restored relationship with our Creator who loved us and made us in His own image. So let's look at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 one more time. And Daniel, would you read it for us this time? Sure. But when the fullness of the time
5: came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption
1: as sons. That last phrase... I don't think has the same impact in our generation as it would have in Paul's generation, because in Paul's generation, adoption was not just about giving you a name. It was about giving you status. It was about giving you standing. It was about giving you inheritance. And that's a big idea because adoption was seen as a raising of someone's status to a different level because they are not seen as slaves. They're seen as sons, or in our thinking, sons and daughters. So when he redeemed those under the law, he did it so we could receive adoption. Hmm. Now, as you hear all of that, I'm throwing a lot of information at you. How do you respond to that? What do you think?
2: Well, I'm going back to the destination point that we started Mm -hmm. out with. That destination of our belonging to God as his children even today in this century when we live, is radical and stunning and surprising. Mm. And yes, the the journey's super important, but the destination of belonging to him, that he would go to this effort to claim us, to bring us close to his heart in a daily relationship, that's what Christmas is about, isn't it?
3: Yeah. It's really a life-changing awareness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Coming into the awareness that we are family. Mm. That actually
5: is part of what jumped out to me when I read it, is noticing the change in language between the first part of verse five and the second part. It says, so that he, Jesus, might redeem those, those other people who were under the law, Mm. that we Mm. might receive the adoptions Mm. as sons. And of course, he's writing to a very specific audience in the churches around Galatia. But us as a part of the big family of God now have also been adopted. And so it is a we, that we have received this adoption, this invitation into becoming a part of God's family.
2: And you know what else you're helping me notice, Daniel, is the we, our adoption by the Father into His family connects us, all yeah. of us, in a family together. Mm-hmm. You know, so you are my brothers, I am your mm-hmm. sister, you know, we are together a family. And that's, I and mean, if you've ever been an only child, <laughs> you know, or, you know, an orphan without connections, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm reality as well. Yeah.
5: And I think it pushes back on our culture big time because even in Christianity, we're all about the personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not diminishing that. Mm. That's important Mm. to talk about. But the story of the New Testament is not so that you individually have a relationship with God and that's it. Mm. It is a communal invitation into This new kingdom of people, uh, the church, and relationships with one another truly matter, right? Love God with all your heart and your neighbor. (laughs) And so
1: it is a we in that way. Forty years or so ago, when I first became a follower of Christ— one of the choruses at that time, it was such a simple chorus, but it had such a beautiful sentiment. It said, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Yeah, Mm -hmm, me too. To be born of his spirit, washed in his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we Mm -hmm. travel earth's Mm -hmm. side. I'm a part of the family, the family of Mm -hmm. God. When we become followers of Jesus, we don't just become individuals out there blazing a trail like some pioneer. We become part of a family. Mm. And I think you're right, Daniel. I don't think we emphasize that enough the corporate, communal nature of what we receive through adoption as his sons and daughters. Yeah. When you compare the first half of verse five with the second half of verse five, we go from being slaves on the slave market to being children. Mm of the best father there could ever be. And someone described it this way. Servants have a master, sons and daughters have a father. Mm. Servants obey out of law and fear. Sons and daughters obey out of liberty and love. Servants have no inheritance, but sons and daughters can expect to inherit all things. Mm. It's a totally different standing we have with one another and with our Father.
3: It really involves a freedom to become, doesn't it?
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a
1: good way to put it. Mm.
2: Push that mm-hmm. a little further. Well, freedom to become and then a freedom to reproduce that freedom. You know, as we ourselves have spiritual sons and daughters. You know, because of our relationship with God, they become a part of the family. There's a beautiful reproduction of yeah. this relationship that God's made possible for us all.
3: Yeah, and staying with the the relationship with Him too, He's infinite. Yeah. <laughs> There's a sense in mm-hmm. which His love it never ends. The the boundaries get broken wide open Mm. and there's just no end to what we in christ can continue to become Mm. and not just for our sake but for the sake as you're saying for others for one another
1: so i guess i'm wondering right now daniel um did you find the christmas story in galatians 4 (laughs) you know i think it's definitely referenced there but i think
5: where we're ending this conversation is not only is there the christmas story there but there's i don't mean this to cheapen it in any way but there's a present here, too, for all Mm of us to open. (laughs) And that present is a picture of God's love that invites us not only into relationship with Him, Mm -hmm. but as we're saying, also into relationship with one another through His love. Mm
2: -hmm. So Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters, (laughs) sons and daughters.
3: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, from all
2: of
0: us at Discover the Word and our Daily Bread Ministries, we hope that you're having a wonderful, Christ-filled Christmas this year. That's a great conclusion to these conversations called Paul's Christmas Story. Thank you, Bill, for leading us in this discussion. I think we've all been reminded of just how life-changing God's love for us truly is. And Even if we have heard the Christmas story a million times, I think there were still new insights we took away from this study of Galatians 4 and verses 4 and 5. Well, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always points us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. I encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.